It's okay. I'll uh, cut off the beginning here. <laughs> hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to Van Shitty. It is a hot day today, the day we're recording, and I'm with my friend Tesh Gudakanda. Tesh is a filmmaker who has had a heck of a year uh, this year. Uh, he made what is, in my opinion, the best Crazy 8 uh, called Mom vs. Machine, and he's just finished a running gun. He's been grinding in town for since the moment he got here, um, and in the meantime, we've become really good friends, and I'm really stoked to have him on here to talk about the BC film industry, the future, and where do-it-yourself filmmakers fit into the picture. Hey, Tash. Um, so, let's get into it. Um, I guess we'll start at the beginning. Um, you could tell me about when you started uh, getting into filmmaking, because uh, you're not from BC originally. You're from Alberta, right? Yeah, I'm from Calgary. Okay. Um, yeah, I lived there most of my life. Um, after immigrating, I actually moved to I immigrated to Canada when I was 11, and I moved to Calgary right away. Then I moved to Sherwood Park for a little bit, and then back to Calgary again for all of my high school years. And subsequent university years and you know it's uh it's one of those cities <laughs> yeah that's uh it, it's kind of like a lot of one of those like boyhood kind of cities where i just kind of had like i think a pretty conventional non um crazy upbringing so it, it kind of just like let me soak in a lot of ideas i guess right um i, I didn't know i could make movies till i was 23 i think um so you know that's always like a good marker of encouragement i think for people um just kind of like you know it's it's never too late to do something I, I firmly believe that but um i think we have a similar path i got a fairly late start too i started I started acting when I was 20 and I wasn't into in a movie until I was 22 and it was like a movie my friend made. So, right. yeah, you know. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's, it's kind of like interesting is that I always love movies. Um, I mean, I always love like all kinds of arts and I, I think we always kind of chatted about how we're both kind of on a spectrum a bit too. But um, yeah, my first love has been graphic novels in a way because, you know, you can kind of just like freeze on a frame and you get these like exaggerated expressions and they tell you like he's angry or like they, there's like a emotion next to like the rage and whatever yeah right? so like manga and graphic novels and stuff were like you know stuff that got me into storytelling a lot the novels and then of course like i fell in love with film and anime and like so much and the thing is that um even, even growing up in india like the cinema is huge in india like bollywood is mm -hmm. huge tollywood is huge i'm from like south india and it's it's one of the biggest industries so even my grandparents and my family and every one of us would just go on these like crazy outings all the time and um i, I remember this moment like i had like a cinema paradiso kind of experience when my grandpa once took me to a movie theater and he just let me see like the projection from the back mm -hmm. and uh i was just like six or seven and just stood up and just to watch like the crowds laugh and engage because like the indian audiences are so loud and boisterous they like they're like everything yeah participatory audiences. oh yeah yeah like the, the the protagonist walks in and they're just like all like cheering and clapping like every time and it's it's really 
Awesome. And I think like at that time, I didn't really know that those were the things I, I, I fell in love with and that later on would be the things I resonate the most with. But uh, now looking back and especially because like the entire last couple of years has been a lot of looking back. So um, those are the moments that I started to realize, like I always had this like love of film. It's just, uh, you know, growing up brown, I <laughs> just yeah, my parents raised me to be an engineer. So yeah. Um, that, that was the thing. I, uh, I feel you. I mean, I got that immigrant upbringing too. I came here a little earlier. It's three and a half, but growing up Eastern European, Romanian, my dad drove cabs, uh, when we moved here, uh, yeah, it was, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer, yeah. uh, engineer was out. Um, then it was doctor or lawyer. Didn't want to be a lawyer because I hate paperwork. Tried to uh, be pre-med and took me years to get out of uh, that cycle. <laughs> We should totally put the pin on the hate the paperwork part. Really. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You you don't like paperwork. You'll love being in the film industry. <laughs> oh, man. That's the funniest thing because uh, eventually, and, and I'm jumping the ship here, but I started ADing. So that's like a lot of Excel spreadsheets and planning and talking to like, yeah. you know, getting permits and clearances. And I was actually talking to my dad recently and I told him what I do sometimes when I actually get paid work. <laughs> which is when producing or whatever and he was like this is exactly what i wanted you to do except like make more money <laughs> it's like, yeah uh, it's yeah. so funny how uh, how good they are at turning our dreams into a job i know yeah it's uh you know this that's the part i regret the most about film is how much i i i, I dabble with excel spreadsheets and how good i am at excel you and, regret being good at excel spread yeah <laughs> just that Film forced me, like, if, if you want to organize any kind of shoot, I mean, Excel is such an amazing skill. And then it's like, you know, my dad is a project manager yeah. um, for a lot of these oil and gas companies. So, you know, it's 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 kind of like something that actually goes hand in hand. It has become a weirdly um, similar thing that we can actually talk about. And it's actually rallied him around to, like, understand what I do and respect what I do a lot more now. Yeah. But uh, jumping back to childhood, it was miserable. We never saw eye to eye. <laughs> and uh, Me and my dad either, man. Bad relationships with dads. I can I can I go off on forever. Yeah, I mean, that, that's where a lot of movies come from. It's... Well, the, the, um, the, yeah, the rift between the sensitive artistic child and the, the father who sacrificed so much to come to a new country is uh, it's real. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, like, you can't even blame them, you know, it's, it's, no. it, it is really a good life. And sometimes I think about it even now, like, you know, um, if I was an engineer, uh, you know, making six figures, I could probably self-finance a lot of movies, you know, like oh, just 100%. taking whatever yearly breaks that they give. And it's a good, cozy way to live. And, uh, you know, it's but the thing is that I think to grow, sometimes you just need to wear off the chosen path and um there's something fundamentally fun about not knowing or not having certainty to an extent i think miserable but fun <laughs> well i mean i think that beyond even being an immigrant there is this contextual difference between our generation and our parents generation see i think for our parents the future looked kind of maybe a dead end in the country that they were from but here it looked like this endless horizon of possibilities so you got to you know you got to get property and you've got to set up a foundation but to us it looks like we're coming like whether it's nihilism or whatever it looks like we're coming upon either the end of humanity or a big shift 
or yeah. revolution, you know? Yeah. So the whole idea of like, you know, settle, get a normal job, get a house, start a family. It just, it seems uh, like a fantasy that requires us to ignore climate change and political upheaval. And like, there's no choice but to do what you want because there's no other time. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially like throwing just bouts of mental illness on top of it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, what is the point of life? And then you kind of patch it back up together again. And then you're like, you want to make the best of every moment is the um, kind of answer. And then at that point, it's like, how much am I thinking about my RRSPs and um, saving up for retirement when the planet does feel so bleak? I totally hear you on that. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, you know, I, I just don't know, like, what to think about all that. Like, are we overreacting? It doesn't feel like it. But it also is like, what, to what degree is catastrophic thinking useful, even if it is um, accurate? Right. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, I feel like because we kind of now have an ability to channel those kinds of thoughts into something, because now you're articulating things and you're writing and you're putting your voice out there i feel like for us if we're not going to think about it who's going to think about it if yeah. we're not going to like put those into words and movies and experiences who's going to do it because it's like you know it's it's sometimes good to just kind of like not tell everyone everything's chill because uh, you know some, some of the best work gets done uh with some sort of a deadline Otherwise, like we can kind of procrastinate on global issues like climate change because you're like, ah, I'll just worry about that tomorrow and then it's going to be too late. And that's that's I think we we I think of anyone know that how bad that kind of procrastination can be to wait till the final deadline. And I think we yeah. can just see it on a global level. And that's what we recognize innately. I mean, I mean, the real sad part. Right. And I don't want to get too far into current events because we have so much ground to cover on this podcast. But um. I think the shitty thing is that the that other people are procrastinating for us. Yeah. Who have all the power and all the, like we, you know, norm regular people, if they had the reins would shift immediately. Mm -hmm. But it's these it's these people who tell us that they know best and who hold all of the cards who are like, we're just going to wait it out a little bit longer and we'll be building our spaceships in case we need to leave the planet in the meantime. Yeah. And, you know, this this is a subject that I could just get into forever oh, yeah. as well, because there's also this new rise of um, constant opinion. You know, there's so many different factions of opinion that science has become a matter of opinion. And when that happens, even if it's something like climate change, when two sides are just like arguing constantly as to what is the climate change, what is the factions of it? then it's also tough for effective action, I find, because you need to be unified. You, but but here's the crazy thing. So uh, this is something that uh, it's recent. Um, but if you look at all the mainstream media news reports now, the latest news from the, from the past week regarding COVID is that the lab leak hypothesis mm -hmm, yeah. is actually probably the most, like, I couldn't believe it, but New York Times and everything, like, they're now saying the lab leak is the, the most probable thing, right? Yeah. And for the, the past year, that's been uh, written off as a uh, right-wing conspiracy point. Right. So it's like, th that's the thing about science, right? I mean, every once in a while, um, somebody will say it and it'll be a big relief. Science changes as new information yeah. comes in. 
the problem is some politicians and stuff um, on both sides, they seem to be framing science as if it's some kind of new God, right? Like yeah. where, uh, where trust the scientists becomes this uh, rallying cry to, to manufacture consent when really trust scientists means like pay attention to the consensus and pay attention to the way it changes. It's almost like science doesn't deal in absolutes. It's not SIP. <laughs> no, science doesn't deal. No, and it changes and you got to monitor it. And that's what makes science hard to keep track of, right? Because it doesn't tell you something um, concrete all the time. It is a moving target. And I think so much about our current world we can't rely on simple rules, you know? And uh, I just want to sidebar this. And folks, this is what happens when you get two people with ADHD into a <laughs> podcast to talk about film. Because uh, where were we? About oh, right, how I got right, started right. in no, film. <laughs> I was actually, uh, I was actually, I thought of, my friend, I thought of a brilliant segue, uh, yeah. which is that you and I have both made uh, speculative fiction short films in the vein of Black Mirror. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to segue into mom versus machine. Yeah, let's do it. Um, from this, right. Because we're looking at a future that's bleak and interesting and that involves all of these possibilities. And so there's a lot of that type of fiction coming out and you made a crazy eight. That's kind of like a, a horror comedy Yeah, about that. Um, so talk, talk about that. Um, yeah, the, the, the fun genesis of it um, years ago was the idea about machines replacing people, which we've all kind of like probably thought about somewhat. Um, I had this idea a while back about like a cab driver who has to come to terms with the fact that uh, his children are taking um, self-driven cars and his job has kind of been gone. And I kind of always been fascinated with the idea of um, machines replacing people to an extent because I also mm -hmm. dealt with like the layoffs and uh, when, when the oil and gas industry crashed in 2015 in Alberta, like what that meant, I guess, um, to, to my own family to, to see my dad kind of like deal with like adapting and changing and stuff and myself as well because right. um, whatever. And then, you know, when it kind of came back around to the crazy eights, it was, it was kind of funny because uh, Praneet, my... Uh, he, he was the lead in our film and also uh, helped me with the story. He, he gave his mom this thing called a Rotimatic, which is like an automatic roti making machine right. over the pandemic. And uh, she loves to cook for him. She would go on YouTube to like constantly experiment and just like try and up her game. And then yeah. he just kind of gave her this thing being like, here's an automatic thing. <laughs> and then she, she was kind of like, okay. Yeah, she was like, what are you, what are you trying to say with this? Yeah. Yeah. What are you trying to say with this? So it was just like, oh man, you should, yeah, it was, it was a funny anecdote, but then that kind of like connected these two ideas together, um, about artificial intelligence and yeah. replacing people. And it's also something I studied deeply in university and I love stuff like Ghost and Shell. And me, me too. I, I studied, um, for most of my university career, I studied neuroscience. So oh, nice. it's, it was very much in my, in my wheelhouse as well. And what I love about it is it's taking it, the, the short took takes the speculative and makes it mundane, yeah. but then takes the mundane and turns it into the absurd. Yeah. And those three turns happen um, so seamlessly, you know, and they also, you know, you bounce back and forth between the chaos that's happening in the house and the, uh, the mom talking to the, uh, her friend. Yeah. Uh, grandma. Grand, yeah. Right. The grandma in yeah. the house. 
Um, yeah, it's 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 honestly like taking it farther, right? It's like when when I'm really fascinated with AI, it's kind of like is that hope in a yeah. way was kind of my mindset. So I don't also want to paint it in a bad light because it's kind of like you know building on our legacy. Because when we talk about children, when we talk about passing on what we've done so far, what if we have computers that can make art? Was mm -hmm. like a basis that's always been in my mind. It's like what if we have computers or AI that can write screenplays because they understand story so much better than a human could and then they just know how to like get to people and then so cooking is a more visceral version of that you know it's like what if you have a machine that just doesn't like make food like spits it out but makes authentic food like makes the the stuff that you just wish you could get off the streets of a, of a country you're traveling to what if you got technology to a point where it sells you authenticity and then how do like the people that it means so much to um, grapple with that, like like for an Indian mom who, for talking to her immigrant son, it becomes like a almost means of communication. Then I, I really wanted to assess is like, what do we have left if you don't have those things? And I also want to believe that if you take those things away, that we will find a way to reconnect. Uh, I want to believe in the hopeful version where like, even if those things are taken away, those are still just things and there's a deeper connection between our parents and ourselves and our friends and ourselves that can go beyond just um, a material thing being offered as an exchange for communication. And th those are, I guess, like themes that would just kind of like definitely what got me intrigued. But I, when it comes down to movies, I just want to make entertainment and I just want to make something yeah. fun. So it's like, you know, don't want to preach too much about that kind of um yeah like i love the philosophy of some movies but it's just like i i'd much rather just have like a machine shootout flying samosas at the end of the day because, yeah oh 100 yeah. <laughs> yeah um i think there's something really interesting you said there uh about whether or not a machine can make art you know um and i think that as far as like perfection goes or uh really anything to that degree like i think that yes like basically anything a human can do there's no reason to believe that a a machine can't reproduce it in a way that is superior but i also think that the the primary um the primary purpose of art is communication between people right mm -hmm. and so almost if you know that it wasn't made by another person, it inherently loses value in my mind because then you're not having a dialogue about the human condition with the artist. Yeah. And this actually gives me a great idea to segue into like when we manufacture art for like, Oh yeah. Like NFTs and stuff like that. Yeah. Or just like, you know, any, anything that's kind of like profit driven and just kind of like churned out. Like, yeah. When, people make screenplays out of like a beat sheet and then, you know, it's just like nothing, nothing, nothing against it. Cause it's, it's a great way to like outline, but it's like, you know, it's just something where you're just like predicting um, results for like whatever monetary gains or whatever. Right. Like at that point, that's what, that's what kind of gets me thinking is like, you know, it's like, where's that difference or when do people start to differentiate it? You know, like I know you hate the new star Wars movies, <laughs> Except for the last Jedi. Except like, for the last Rise Jedi. Rise of Skywalker is a prime example of like. Yeah. I think a machine could have done a better job. Well, I mean, I think that the Disney's entire entire model is 
like it's basically searching for that machine generated perfection and it's yeah. i also think of it as kind of an invest investor's model of filmmaking too yeah. where um they'll do this thing right where they will they will make like 10 investments at a time mm -hmm. to the to the best like degree that they think is like they'll survey the market right so let's take chloe zhao as an example right so they see chloe zhao did a great job on the festival circuit um, with the rider and now she's got a partnership with Frances McDormand that's going to turn into a film let's roll the dice on giving her a property that doesn't have the cachet of like say a spider-man right you know and they do that a lot uh, where they find an up-and-coming director that is doing exciting work but is also at a place in their career where they would be easy to control and manipulate mm -hmm. and then they roll the dice on them and then they just kind of prune off the branches that wither away right so you know they take a chance giving kenneth branagh thor yeah doesn't pay off the way they expected it to oh. um yeah um and then you know and then they just give the franchise to taika waititi etc yeah they pruned off their incredible hulk branch right so they and sometimes you know on the star wars end of it they go to the degree of firing directors before the movie's even completed yeah um, oh, they, they, Edgar Wright had a little bit too much clout and too much like self-respect for them. And so he got fired off of Ant-Man. Yeah. So it's very much like, um, yeah, I guess they are, they're creating a stock market model that seems to be bending in the direction of an AI model for filmmaking. I mean, eventually I think it will come to a point where like an AI would be able to create those predictable entertainments. I'm, I'm, yeah, of course. It's not a bleak way, but I guess it's just like, that's why, you know, I, I do have like a hopeful message in that regard and not bleak because I do enjoy my Marvel movies. And, I mean, I mean look, they're uh, yeah. they're exactly what Scorsese said. They're, they're roller coasters and yeah. roller coasters are fucking fun. They're McDonald's. Yeah, um, and McDonald's. McDonald's is great some nights, you know, some nights you just want to have like a junior chicken and it's it's going to hit the spot. I read an article that said that the McDonald's McDouble um for the price, the ratio, the nutrition to price ratio is like the most nutritious food in the world. <laughs> Cuz you can because it has some vegetables and it has a lot of protein. It has vegetables. <laughs> well, you know, pickles and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but, but it has a lot of protein um, and right. it has carbs. So, like, in terms of a full meal for $2. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a utility. And, man, I'll tell you, sometimes there, there's been nights where it, it's felt like the best burger in the world, depending oh, yeah. on the evening. But, um, no, the, the, the hopeful message was just kind of like, um, lately, that's that's the thing. It's like I, I feel like these kinds of metrics and everything, you know, better AI, better whatever, is all about comparison. And something I've been trying to get out of the mindset of is comparing myself to anything out there and trying to like encourage the kind of creativity that isn't about comparing yourself to anything else. It's because I feel like if everybody just kind of like tries to be the best versions of themselves and tries to create the best thing that they can. I feel like that that does lead back into like authenticity and voice and what makes it unique. Like even if an AI makes like a perfect story, you can still make something that is completely yours and unique to you and original to you that I think will resonate by just leaning further back into it. Yeah. And um, sometimes I, what I get nervous about is like when I see grant applications or anything like that, where it becomes too predictive about what, judges want or what panels want or what anything 
um, what anyone's chasing. And for me personally, it's been like a really validating year um, because it, it's even with Run and Gun and with Crazy Eights, it's been kind of like not making movies to those models. It's just kind of like making whatever I want to see. And yeah. that's what I want to really like encourage and push for more of. It's just like people to just kind of lean on their individuality and kind of make that unique thing that only they can do. And I feel like that's that's the only way we can just kind of like keep combating um, whatever's going to happen in the future, even artistically, right? And I think... I think we both believe like, and, and you know, and, and Joel too, like we believe in that like democratization of filmmaking and yeah. making it as accessible to people as possible. And that is the thing that I believe the most in is that everybody can make movies and everybody should make movies. And the, the things with budgets and everything like that is where um, I wish we had like better models to encourage that for sure. Well, I think technologically they're just fighting a losing battle, like the, the people who do the the funding of the big stuff, because, you know, you look at the Irishman, for instance, you know, within a year, just based on how quickly the technology progressed, somebody, you know, in their bedroom with no money was able to improve on the deep fake technology that was used right. or the de-aging technology in that film. That's the degree to which, you know, I mean, we have a, we have a camera, all of us almost have a camera in our pockets that's perfectly capable of making a serviceable film. Yeah. And truly, like, um, I mean, if you look at Run and Guns, past and present, this will be released uh, after the finals announcement. So um, you you know that, you know, it's not the films that have the the biggest teams or the biggest budgets that are always the best ones. You know, yeah. you can you can easily make a really great film with a DSLR or even an iPhone, provided that you have a good story and a unique way to use those those angles. Yeah, you know, uh, there is a place for the giant budget films, but it's. I don't consider it to be the height of the industry, right? I mean, to circle back to Nomadland, there's a lot of problems with that uh, film and the the way that it deals with the working class in America. And there's some, some things you can read a lot of articles about it. But what I thought was really compelling is how bare bones and raw it was. Yeah. Uh, nothing about that film was polished. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Frances McDormand produced it and she got her friend from acting school to play her uh, sister in the film um, because of their personal closeness. And they just, you know, they filmed real people having real interactions. It was really kind of a hybrid between documentary and film. And that's what won Best Picture this year. Yeah. And every year, you know, there seems to be this awakening that what we're really interested in as people is authenticity. Yeah. You know, there was a discussion, you know, at the beginning of the tech, internet, YouTube, whatever you want to call it, boom, right? The, the constant stupid articles saying like, everybody's attention span is getting so short. All they want is bubble gum, cheap candy, like we're uh, losing people. And it's like, okay, fine. If you believe that, then how do you explain the rise of long form series that take as much time to get through as a novel? Yeah. And people binging them. How do you explain podcasts, which can go on for like the most popular podcasts can go on for three hours. Yeah, 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 yeah you know? for sure. 
um, people, you know, and, and people like, you know, hearing us break on these or hearing us talk like people like they, they, everybody wants authenticity Yeah, way more than they want fucking polished shit. Yeah. And they're also bringing that authenticity into like more of these bigger stories too, because they know like how, um, yeah, you're so on the money about that. And the, the interesting part for me this year too, is like, I, I kind of had the, uh, wonderful experience of putting a ton of personal money and expectations and hype into making something like a crazy eight and then doing the exact opposite of that uh with run and gun where it's yeah. just kind of like you know i wanted to do it with as small of a crew as possible even if it's just going to be me behind the camera but luckily i had some amazing people wanting to join and um you know i'm just going to be transparent about it like our crazy eights cost us 7500 out of pocket and our run and gun cost us um just whatever the catering was <laughs> yeah and i'll i'll say some things as myself a former crazy eights winner um that you know, I've already said some things, but like uh, the fact that they don't allow crowdfunding during the competition or afterwards for top up fees, for instance, is in my mind ridiculous. You know, I mean, because that's that's on you. You know, you're going to be paying out of pocket one way or another to make your film the best that yeah. it can be. And at the end of the day, you own the film. Yeah, it's it's the the, the craziness. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the aspect about it, I think, is because of the way the process is set up where you kind of pitch for it for months and you fight for it and you fight for it and you want to prove to everybody that it's like the best thing you can make. Um, you kind of get wrapped up into this world where by the time that you have to make this thing, you're so excited about the opportunity to do it. It just feels so much bigger than it is. And the expectations and the stakes are so much higher and you automatically get locked into a situation where you need to pour in that time resources and money like it, it wasn't even like a point of logic for me to think like oh should i put in like this extra like couple grand which i did not save aside or set up it's just kind of like oh i need to make more thing it needs to be and this is what it's going to take and those are like where the things change and man it was such a relief to know that a film can happen and work um down the line where things can just come together and things can just fall into place and things can just like happen yeah and that, that was what a lot of run gun was because i think part of what eliminates like a pitching process to an extent and i'm not saying like both shouldn't exist because i think both are amazing uh resources and i'm i'm for like how many ever filmmaking opportunities that filmmakers can have yeah we're already losing so many this year yeah. that we don't we don't want to lose more, but I think reform is a, is a fair thing to have on one's mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's, it's the nature of, I think, those expectations that we're talking about in regards to authenticity. And, you know, lately, since completing both these projects, I've been thinking about a lot about what makes a good movie. And that's what we've been um, yeah. touching base on, too. It's like, you know, the basics of it, you know, just maybe like a great location, great cast, great performance like great stories and you know two of those things just come from like a very um accessible place i think and especially a city like vancouver when you have such wealth of actors and yeah just amazing people to collaborate with and 
you know, if, if that's enough and I want to believe like that's enough and I want to push for that to be the thing that even if there are these massive pitches, like I think something that I kind of realize is like, you know, every year there's this kind of like idea of raising the bar and I want that bar to be raised by good storytelling and not special effects and visual effects and yeah. all of the bells and whistles that kind of go into it. I'll, I'll say something that like, you know, I think it's common sense for a lot of people, but like, I guess it's because of the things that shoot here, but the amount of amazing actors that I know, like fantastic actors that I've seen in Vancouver, both on the stage and in indie film that, that never get their crack at the industry at large versus the amount of actors that I see that book jobs here, uh, in the industry at large that couldn't act their way out of a paper bag. Um, there is a, there's some sort of inverse value system in Vancouver regarding quality uh, because of the financial incentives. Mm -hmm. Because um, we have uh, the majority of what shoots here for profit are things that require uh, a very stilted, very pre-planned, very inauthentic type of, of work, right? Uh, you know, uh, I don't think, you know, Hallmark movies are, they are what they are and they, they serve a purpose, but they don't exactly, you know, they're not looking for a particular uh, thing that we necessarily value in terms of good films. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and, you know, you, in my mind, you are what you eat, right? It's difficult to spend six months on Hallmark sets and then change your style of filmmaking immediately. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's where I kind of get kind of like tripped up as the nature of like loving something and doing something you love for a living. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's like, you know, we, we talk about projects like Nomadland, but that's like, it, it requires us to kind of take some chances and risks and go for grants and all of that. But outside of it, it's incredibly difficult for those kinds of films to constantly be the ones that are churned out or the ones that are given the most funding to. And that, that's where I wish I knew what the answer is to like, kind of like support that. Exactly. I mean, that, that's the tough nut to crack. And I want to say too, that like those Hallmark films, they're, they're nobody in Vancouver's creative baby, you know, they're farm, like we might edit the scripts. We might, you know, you know, do our very best work that within the parameters, but generally they're farmed out of somewhere else. Right. And okay. so I think everybody is aware that that's a job, you know, but I think that there is this, this ties back into what we talked about with our parents and stuff, right? There's this old school mentality of you, you grind most of your life so that you can finally, at the end of it, do the thing you really love. That's kind of the template. But it seems like from what I see here in Vancouver, that there's a lot of people, and it's tragic, who've spent their entire life grinding only to end up at an age where the the opportunities to do what they really love haven't manifested in any, any way yeah and then they also like there's this bitterness that develops when you do see kids who made films in their backyard skipping the line 
you know, they, they, they make a backyard film, they make it into festivals and then all of a sudden they're directing whatever they want. Yeah. While you kind of ground through Hallmark movies for 30 years being told that that's what you had to do. Yeah. There's a tragedy that has Vancouver as its backdrop. I mean, to that, to that, I just want to say like I th- that's why it's so important to just kind of like push people to do what they want and kind of just I don't know it's it's tough for me to sometimes like say that because I fundamentally believe especially coming out of like the pandemic um lockdown period of my life where it was, it was very self-reflective and the biggest thing I learned is that I just want to kind of like just follow my heart I've stopped doing corporate work as much I've stopped like taking on just something that's going to pay as well even if it means that like I'll, I'll i'll have something less to work with um it, it just is about that fulfilling and having faith in it and just chasing like things that have value friendships that have value connections that have value yeah. and uh not not necessarily like networking around like what's gonna lead me to places but just kind of like vibing with everybody and uh yeah that that's been one of the most like i mean i i want to say like you know if there's any kind of like what a confidence honestly because i've been doing that i've been having a really great year and honestly like that's the one thing that i'll keep preaching and encouraging people is to be like authentic and just kind of like learn like spend that time to like kind of like reflect internally about what your needs are because with corporate as an example it took me a long time to understand that just because it has a camera and a lens and i'm editing and i'm shooting somebody it doesn't equate to filmmaking that's going to feed my soul and um you know and not not a lot of people are willing to make the kind of compromises that I might because I, I work retail I work yeah. like whatever to just kind of like do as a day job to like get by so I can like spend evenings just writing something that feeds the soul you know and yeah it's like in, in a great world like I, that's why it's a whole other story but I need to see you post about this too like I can't wait for the world there is like UBI and stuff like that too yeah. where we can potentially take those risks and chances and um chase after being like our authentic selves when it comes down to creativity and whatnot. The way that I see it too, is like, I I am, I'm congenitally incapable, I guess, of doing certain things because it just kind of like my, I'm incredibly sensitive. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and that's, you know, you got to get used to eating a lot of ramen noodles and, uh, you know, and a lot of uh, canned uh, tuna. Uh, and, you know, beans from a can, which is, you know, I've done it all. Um, I'm very like trying to live on as little as possible really at this point, because, um, I've never, never had dreams of financial security. Yeah. You know, despite coming from an immigrant family, um, you know, I saw my parents kind of go from being really poor to then having quite a bit like not a ton, but enough very quickly. And none of that really, I saw them kind of spend their whole lives accumulating my whole life. I should say accumulating things. And that just never really appealed to me. Yeah. But I know some people like are, they need the, the comforts of life and, and the, and they need to survive. And there's that kind of scarcity mindset. And, um, 
think, I, I have to respect that. I think we also like have the privilege of not having like necessarily kids. And yeah, exactly. Having to um, think about futures outside of our own. I mean, th- it's like an active choice where I recognize that there are certain, certain kind of like sacrifices being made to do it. And it's, it's I don't, I don't, I don't, I guess I still kind of feel conflicted about saying something in the world. If like, you know, if you, if you do what you truly love, money will sort itself out because there's yeah. so many other variables to it and so much other like privilege that comes and you don't supports want, that. Yeah. You don't want to say that and then have somebody listen to you and then, you know, go bankrupt and suffer. Yeah. Um, because it is, you know, I mean, there's, there's the element of privilege, which is huge. Um, but then there's also the element of luck, which is yeah. also huge. Like you don't really, all you can do in the world is put yourself out there. And sometimes you put the most authentic, brave version of yourself out there and the world just says no. Yeah. And that's true too. I mean, I've seen it in many things. Uh, one of my favorite comedies uh, is the movie Hot Rod. Oh, yeah. I, I love I love yeah. that movie. Like me and my friends when we saw it, it just like tickled us like in the Yeah, it just tickled us in the 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 most authentic way possible. Like it was perfect for our sense of humor. And I think if it came out today, it would it would hit that like I think you should leave you know that Netflix show Sweet Spot. Mm-hmm. But it bombed, lost most of its money when it came out, got terrible reviews. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you watch interviews of the Lonely Island guys since then, you know, like they, they were really discouraged by the experience of making that film and they all kind of went in more commercial directions afterwards. Yeah. So, and you know, and they are of course, incredibly lucky and privileged guys who now have great careers still. So, you know, they didn't really suffer that much, but it is hard because that film reads as so genuine and authentic to me. And I, it resonated with me so much. But, you know, you're not always going to succeed. People are not always going to appreciate it. And that's the truth of the world. You're so right about that, that I'm just kind of like, what what do we, what do we do? I guess it's like, what, like, um, you know, I, I really wanted to believe that, like, by just being my best version, I could like inspire and open up opportunities and whatever, you know, and it's just kind of like, well, yeah, it's just like you, you want to create a system where you can just like encourage people. That's 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 what I do believe. It's like I, I just hope that people keep creating. That's the. So this is this is where we I can talk about. I think every podcast I've said some version of this, but the middle of my career, man. Um, to I mean, I haven't made much money. So calling it a career still feels weird, but it is one. Um was the period in which I did what I believed were all the right things. And I actually think that the benefit of those those pieces that I worked on is that there was at least one person always in the creative driver's seat who was coming from a place of authenticity. But I, I don't necessarily think it was ever me for those. Uh, the, the projects that I've worked on that achieved the most kind of what you would consider to be outward success. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, I one project that has a 1.5 million views on YouTube, another one that got nominated for crazy awards, et cetera. But, you know, it's funny, like that period is not really, you know, despite the fact that there was a lot of hope for like career advancement, it's not the period of my career that 
brings me the most joy to reflect on, you know? And really, I look back at it now and I think like all I have left of it, of that period, are my memories of it, you know? And all I have left of all the other things I worked on are the memories too. And I just, I prefer looking back at the good memories. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think I had like a similar phase too. It's just because like so much of like what motivated me coming into this year was getting validation. Yeah. And like that's something that I'm pretty open about now because I realized like how much I wanted the world to see me as a director or a writer because I, I was really desperate for, you know, people to just notice that I had like a unique voice or a different voice so they can just like give me more work and hire yeah. me and whatever. And the more I chased that, the more miserable I think I was at the tail end of it, even if it led to success. I mean, relatively like getting an opportunity to do the things I get to do this year is like pretty awesome. And so I don't want to knock that down by any means, but it's it's just like deep down internally. I think you saw like the post I made on Facebook after like my crazy AIDS experience where I was just kind of like, I, I just felt empty because I realized so much of it was just like, it feels wrong to make a movie that's just kind of like notice me instead of like, oh, look, this is like a really fun thing that yeah. I want to lean on. Because I think people can see that, you know, I think people are, you very good at at being able to tell when something comes from notice me and when it comes from a real place. Yeah. You know, they might not have words for it, but they can, they can sense something. But with that said, at the same time, I think what kind of like starts to erode that a little bit. And this is also something I discovered on a more hopeful note too, is that once you start having an opportunity to work with some amazing collaborators and creatives on a project, like you said, you, you had, someone on one of those projects that came from an authentic voice and i think that does like help out yeah even the balance of it because you know that that's the wonderful thing about film too is that it's not just one person's exactly. absolute vision right it's like i can completely attest that like our dp gerald had like a completely different subset of motives coming into it where they were nothing to do with like what i was motivated by but it right. was just, like pushing the craft for all of the right reasons. Same with our actors who are just pouring their love and energy into it for the right reasons. And, you know, just the pure curiosity and fun from the rest of the cast and crew that kind of brought it on. I think that's what kind of lives through. And at the end of the day, makes me like proud of the project is not the part of what I brought to the table. It's just like what they were able to kind of like channel through and not read too much into it and just, make it so much more amazing than I ever could on my own. And that's, that's the other thing too, that just like kind of attracts me to just kind of like meet new people and um, gravitate towards like making movies too. It's just constant self-discovery. And now I kind of realized that filmmaking before I used to be, I used to really believe that filmmaking was about like, write what you know, but I kind of disagree with that to an extent because what you know will automatically yeah. like come through, but now it's more so, I, I want it to be driven by like curiosity and asking questions and what am I intrigued by and what can I like open like a new can of worms on and like untangle messes and stuff like that. And especially like there's still so much repressed trauma from even what we oh, discussed yeah. from the earlier on in the 
thing. And on, on that note too, like I, I love what your script is about, and I, I I hope like people get a chance to like. Oh, my feature. Yeah, see that. Yeah. Right. Oh man. It's like untangling so much about <laughs> about me, yeah, and yeah. about the the immigrant experience. Really, I mean, that's why I think I wrote that script. Uh, that I'm still there's a there's a last puzzle piece I'm trying to figure out with with this feature that I, I've been writing for a long time. Um, but I wrote it and I didn't like immediately throw it in the garbage because I was like, all right, this is the first thing I've written where I feel that. I, if I was 10 years old and I went and saw this movie in a theater with my dad, like it would mean a lot to me. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's what you want to do, right? You want to like, you want to make the kid that went to the movies happy. Like, I think that's gotta be the point because we, we live in a beautiful, diverse world with all of these different experiences and this different specificity, but the, the human condition is one thing, you know, I mean, it is. So when you see somebody telling the truth, it kind of, I think it unlocks something in everyone, you know, like when it's really authentic. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it doesn't always hit, but it's, that's not the point. I think the point is to just keep trying. Yeah. You just gotta, gotta keep trying. Right. Um, Cause what else is there? That's, that's, that's a great way to do. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's a fact. And, and what you said about, um, the set environment, um, that's the other reason why I'm still doing this shit. Like, and yeah. I haven't quit is because I love that environment. It's, it's true in theater and it's true in film where you have a group of people who all have the same goal and it doesn't work unless everybody is at their best. Yeah. It's just a complete inversion of the way that we've been socialized to live in the world. Yeah. And on that, on that note too, it's not even that like they're trying to be their best. It's but like, I feel like you just can't help but be your best with like, yeah, less decision. I mean, it's like you make decisions, but like eventually everything will just fall back to instinct because it just gets so quick and so rapid and so overwhelming and the best way possible that, it just opens up those opportunities and it's just such a great way to learn. Like that, that's the wonderful thing about it is like, I've, I've never been on a film set and not learned something yeah. about life or myself or how it could be better um, as a human being. So it's, it just seems more like the natural way that people organize themselves or should, yeah. you know, it, it, um, it's seems so like, inauthentic and hollow this competitive model that we've set up that people say is the human nature or whatever yeah you know that we have to be the best and we have to secretly hope everybody's fucking up or shitty but when you're on a film set what the i'm not gonna hope sound is fucking up and shitty so that i can be the best guy on the set so that i can win set at the end of the day if sound is shitty the whole movie's fucked i gotta make sure that that guy feels appreciated and yeah you know and I think there's something wonderful about the unifying nature of purpose too. It's like yeah. sometimes, you know, I think this, you know what? I think this probably helps me articulate why I'm so miserable every time I wrap a movie than like yeah. <laughs> when I'm working on a film set is probably because like when you walk onto the set on any given day, there's an actual like sense of purpose. Like, like you said, everyone's working towards like a completion of a film and you know, the unifying problem solving mindset that kind of comes together and like deals with every single thing that just is unpredictable, just like brings us together. And I think it shows us like 
to a very much extent like an ideal best of humanity situation where we can work together and yeah do something and then after that it's over and then you're just kind of like oh shit what's my next purpose <laughs> there is you know what there's that feeling too the day after where you realize oh right those people weren't actually my family yeah you know i mean they we were working on something together we had to be a family for that in in the best cases yeah but you know now that now that we're not working on this project on the same set during production we all go our separate ways and um there's grief i think that's legitimate grief because you built a family and then it dissolved yeah because you'd want it to last for a lot longer than it ever does yeah yeah and i think i think that's probably why i feel it more when i do theater uh because rehearsal periods can go on for months right yeah and you're really like you're just like sweating and like fucking yelling and doing all these emotions that you never do in real life around these people over and over again and then the show wraps and then you're just like oh right features as well like yeah. um some of the best friendships and relationships i still have to date are the ones that i've done as like a ad working on features and just being able to like interact with everybody and honestly like at the same time i feel like Something wonderful that I realized over the years too is like all of these people that you do form that like at least um, temporary bond with it, it. It's like it's so instantaneous to pick it up. Like anytime you meet them, like if you meet them on a different film set or you meet them at a bar or you like just like run into them, it's just like that instant connection again. And I yeah. feel like that's that. You know what? I think like that's kind of what's been making the the side of this so addictive. And then the frustration is like, how do we constantly like enable it and keep making it happening again and again and again? Because obviously, why wouldn't we want to keep chasing that good feeling all the time? Yeah, this is a good pivot actually to Run and Gun um, yeah. to talk about it more in depth um, it, because you know, I mean, you wrote a beautiful thing. Um, regarding just the beauty of creation and how important it is to just make a film on the page itself. But yeah, um, it's difficult, right? I mean, the, it's a kind of a microcosm of the whole process as it is intended to be, right? Yeah. You have the beauty of creation for 48 hours. Yeah. And then for two weeks, you're sitting on your ass wondering if you're going to make finals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, that's not the point, but there is this yeah there's this addiction to this competitiveness you know the, the funniest part about this is like i made a post trying to like tell people that hey it's completely okay wherever you screen but internally i'm like i needed to hear this so badly because i was going yeah, through yeah. so much anxiety in my head oh. and so much doubt and so much like it's it's because it's it's one of those things where it's so funny because this run and gun specifically, I went into it with like the notion of like, I do not want to care about the results. I just want to have fun on set. I just want to be in the moment. My only rule to myself was be in the moment, be in the moment, be in the moment and accept like whatever comes your way. And then as soon as we wrapped, we finished it. I was so proud of what we made. Yeah. And then the pride led into like, okay, now I want to believe that this kind of filmmaking can have value and this kind of filmmaking yeah needs validation and then it just put me in that like mental stress for like the next couple of weeks of just like oh my god like am i 
is this good? Like, I want to believe this is the kind of filmmaking that can be good or appreciated. And, and I know, man, I know that somebody's listening to this right now being like, oh, yeah, it's really easy for you fuckers to talk like about like uh, perspective and whatever when you're you both made the finals. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it it's like uh, it's really I've. I've made semis, I've failed so many fucking times in this career what it's not even failure right like the the true um success really is the joy of creation yeah but yeah like i actually there's there's like probably this thing that i didn't even think i was going to talk about this thing that this one failure in my acting career that like left a mark on me and it's dumb right because nobody's entitled to any particular role but um, they, there was a role in a play by my favorite playwright here in Vancouver. Um, and it was a role for an autistic young man. Uh. And I knew that I was like neurodivergent, um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, my anxiety disorder crapped up in my twenties. This was much more recent than that, but it was like, it was a play that had its world premiere in the theater of the school that I went to. Mm -hmm. um and and um and it was for an autistic guy and it was by my favorite playwright and i had this great audition um i didn't say that i was autistic because i hadn't come to terms with it myself and i just thought like this is it you know this is like regardless of how it does this is the part for me and this is going to be an amazing experience right i hype myself up yeah and then Obviously, uh, the neurotypical actor got it. <laughs> um, and then he did a big, uh, big caricature performance. Right. Uh, and it was painful, man. Uh, but I had to take a step back. And Do you regret like not selling your... Not selling my... my yeah. uh, well, I wasn't ready to let people know that about me yeah I feel so that. i mean do i regret like I, those are things that there are so many layers to them right because you worry that there is a certain contingent of the world yeah that will mark you as a uh lesser than permanently is it it's probably fucked up on my end too that i'm, I'm kind of like much more comfortable talking about my mental health issues um like you know just my bouts with suicide and like just yeah. even, even the same exact thing with like being diagnosed with asperger's and stuff after like some modicum of like what i mean was successful look at what There's I an angle because it's just like now it's just like is it just like self-awarely messed up that maybe i'm doing that because i, I don't want to make it seem like i just had it easy and i want all people to know that like I had to like earn being here or something in, in that world. Like, Oh, for me too, man. I think like there is this part of me that feels like a, like quote unquote, you know, now I'm a character in the community or whatever. And so it, I get to be like, here's this extra thing about me that you probably didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel that. Like, like even, even with the failures, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to be like, Oh look, I'm trying to celebrate this win, but let me tell you like how I have like all these like unfinished short films and like a yeah. failed feature in the past and all that stuff. Like, like almost to like mitigate, like not being able to like celebrate something with love and just, yeah, it's, it's like, 
that that's another whole other trauma of like there yeah. it is yeah well i mean i can tell you that like to, to dig deep right like my the beginning of my creative relationship with joel even was like you know here's a guy who's been making films since he was 12 years old in his backyard yeah you know who was always kind of an early bloomer and here's me who went down the wrong path uh most of my life started getting into acting and filmmaking at 20. Mm -hmm. He had already like graduated film school by the time we started working together. I had like no skills, you know, but this was like one of my best friends from high school. Yeah. So I always felt lesser than, yeah. you know, and like, I thought that there were now it's so funny how life goes by because now it's been 10 years since that period. But yeah, um, you know, I always felt like I had something to prove. You know, and uh, it was, uh, it was like, you know, if I could go back, I would like tell that kid to just like enjoy the process. Hell yeah. Just like think about how lucky you are to be making cool shit that you think is great with your friends. And if, if anything, all of this is an indication like the process is pretty much the best part because the oh, results yeah. often feel empty or the results are like it's it's you know it's like a lot like memento it's like once you get there now you're on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing right it's just like um chasing that will always just be like a repetitive thing but if you can just like love the process then you're just kind of like taking a break on like a very busy day on like a film set i'm watching like a butterfly and <laughs> it's just like oh shit like this is cool yeah um it is also the process of it is the whole thing, right? In your memories of the process, like, whereas the thing itself almost becomes like an elaborate still image yeah. of whatever, like, it's not, it, it shows everybody like a, a little snippet of everything that went on yeah. between you and those people during that period. That's if if any regrets I have now, it's those those are the moments I regret is like not being the best person I could to the people around me while I got into the headspace of being result oriented. Yeah, I think like in the past, there's definitely been many productions. And luckily, like it's never been anything where I couldn't make it up to somebody or just, you know, like kind of apologize later down the road. But you know, in the moment, just being so focused on a different subset of goal, you kind of lose perspective that the most important thing is kindness and to just be like nice to each other. Yeah. And that's enough, you know, and that's, that's, that's the something I'd probably tell a younger version of myself too, is just, just be like, just be mindful of the fact that, you know, there's other people here besides yourself. And uh, going back on the trauma too, just yeah. a side note about like this willingness to prove um this is something i actually like recently dealt with because i went on a car ride with my dad um a couple months a month ago and then you know it, it was really funny because he was just telling me like how proud he was of me and it was just kind of like excited about what's to come next and i realized that so much of what was results driven and the part of me that just wanted approval came from chasing after like a man that doesn't exist anymore which is like my dad like 10 years ago yeah like, like, dude you have no idea how much that resonates with me yeah yeah i mean i'm sure you have every idea I, <laughs> I think we have a similar relationship with our father yes um my the man my father is now 
is so different than the man that I just like wanted the approval from for so long. Yeah. Isn't that funny? And you talk about the impacts of that on mental illness and it's like, yeah, what do you do when, um, your goal for so long literally doesn't have a manifestation in the physical world? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just kind of like, and then it kind of throws a wrench into everything too, because now that person becomes you. Yeah. Like that person that's the cruelest and harshest and hardest on yourself is you. And yeah, it's, it's kind of insane how that does kind of become like a weird thing because now it's like, who do you want? And then if you really search to the bottom of the answer list, it's like, Oh, it's me. I want to prove it for myself, but that's yeah. dumb because I already enjoy making this. So it's like, what's going on here? And that is a whole other mess to even untangle because it's like, even with the self-awareness, I'm just like, the voice of like, you're never good enough is just so like strong or, you know, it's just like pinpointing every single fuck up. And so I, I've been, you know, I, I'm so glad that lately I've been seeing such a strong push for self-love and like movements towards like, yeah, um, that just, and I'm just seeing it like universally across the board, even sometimes on Instagram and stuff. I don't know if it's like because of the friends I've been making or if it's like, um the world is kind of gravitating towards it but i feel like yeah. at least there's been a push for that and i feel like that's the most important thing and if anyone's still listening here I just no, wanna... first of all they so I, I look at the stats and this podcast and i and i'm, I'm sure about this episode too actually has a remarkable retention rate so nice. they're listening um love yourself that's it love yourself <laughs> forgive truly. yourself forgive yourself and you know i i think that the media that we've been consuming recently has a big impact. You know, it's funny because um, I hate Obama now for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but when um, I remember when gay marriage got legalized nationally in America, um, you know, it already was here in Canada for a while. But when it happened by Supreme Court decision or whatever, um, it, it was like this thing that like I, I really w was told would never happen in that country you know, at the time. And, you know, even then I didn't give the politicians the credit because I was already cynical about what they were capable of and what they were doing. But I weirdly gave the credit to the media mm -hmm. because not, not the news media, but like films and stuff. Yeah. Because the environment that we became couched in had so normalized homosexuality, hadn't normalized the entire mosaic of what it means to be LGBTQ plus. But it had uh, it had normalized at least a sliver of it that made that legislative victory possible. And it makes me think about how important the stories we tell really are, because, you know, I mean, uh, the things I'm watching now or the things that I have been watching have really genuinely opened up the the part of my mind that we all have still, which has that immediate like uh, retracting reaction to seeing something different or something we're not familiar with. Yeah. You know, the, the art that we see, it can normalize certain perspectives that allow us to see the humanity in others. Yeah. And I feel like that's another thing that sometimes we kind of like lose track of is how much we're dependent on everything else that comes before us and comes around us. It's just kind of like, even with creating something, it's, um, 
it's it's like you're kind of like bouncing and reflecting you know you just come into the world and you soak it in and then you turn it and morph it into something else i know i i've seen you post about this and i know that you're like not too into bojack horseman but that was no, no i so i respect it i like it and there's so much in it that i love that i it actually makes me sad that that show had uh kind of a gut connection with so many of my friends that it didn't have with me. Like I'm jealous yeah. of the experience other people had with it because it felt like something that should have. Done. Yeah. Cause in 2017, um, I, I, I like, I did, I'm still trying to like normalize talking about this, but in 2017, I almost killed myself and Bojack Horseman was like the show that I kind of watched <laughs> while I was in that headspace. And I just cried that, Wow. Someone can just make a show about like saying, Hey, it's okay to be a fuck up. <laughs> and yeah. that, that was probably like the thing, you know, it's just kind of like when I look back on what art is going back into the idea of why it's so important for us to make it. It's, it's the fact that I was so desperately like clinging on to like a reason to live and beyond that, like it, it wasn't like Bojack saved me. It really helped like starting to put words to, what I was experiencing and that was the most important thing. But, you know, at, at the peak of it, at the peak of the moment, right before I did it, it was the faces of all the people that I hurt that kind of like stopped it. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm married and I, I have wonderful parents and despite the trauma. <laughs> yeah. Same. And, and uh, you know, just like amazing friends and friends who openly dealt with someone else's suicide who who told me like how pissed off they would be if like if i ever hurt myself and th yeah. those kind of all kind of flood in and then it's it's the lack of like it's weird because the point that pushed me there was this feeling of absolute loneliness but what reeled me back was like the lack of just realizing that i'm probably not accurately reflecting on what's really the case of it and um yeah and, and then it was it's like what helped me slowly start to like piece my trauma to back, like piece myself back together wasn't the healthcare system because I, I went through psychiatrists no, and yeah. everything. And that that was a whole that's a whole other thing. And maybe I'll talk to Heather about this. But like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, for her. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'm talking to Heather, too. So that might be. But I mean, just know, like, it's so important that you're saying that because. I think when, no matter what, when all of us go through our mental health struggles, it's the nature of these disorders or these extreme states of consciousness for us to feel like we're the only person in the whole world experiencing them. Yeah. I think it's so important to hear from people uh, in the community that they went through periods where they didn't want to live. I think yeah. it's so much more common than we think. And it's, it's, in fact, like even after my crazy eights, I felt that way again for the first time since 2017. And yeah. it was because like, I, I honestly did. I, I I had this low point because this, this was it. I, I poured everything I had into it. I felt like this will define me. This will be um, what will make me finally feel good about myself. Like I, I'll finally get the validation I need. And then the thing is that, you know, like it just did not land like nothing and I, I don't want to sound ungrateful about it too. It's just like nothing about a praise lands. Like if someone's like, Oh, I really like this. I enjoyed this. 
it's like it's incredible like nothing stuck because i just felt so empty that eventually like all of that just got drowned into like one tone and then i just felt alone again i just felt like you know it's just whatever and then so going back to it it was just kind of like but i i knew that you know, I'm going to fight with every fiber of my being against the feeling of wanting to kill myself because yeah. I know how much it's going to hurt the people around me. But that feeling just doesn't go away either. So I don't want to sit here and pretend no. like it's something you can fix or something that you can no. like alleviate. Like there's moments when there's like a stupid setback where I'm <laughs> like, I can always do this. But that's only because I think I've hit that point so close sometimes where it's the power of the release of just being able to have control over one thing, I think is something that's just like very alluring that kind of keeps coming back. But overall it's, 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 it's a constant like battle to kind of fight it and um, go on with it. So yeah, now I do want to be open about it because I want to make sure that people understand that just cause you seem okay, okay. on the outside yeah. or you're even like going through bouts of like, getting certain things you want play out the way you do that doesn't mean it's it's the answer and because that's not the answer then that means the answer is probably just like not putting your anything into like success or achievement especially in filmmaking it's just kind of like being moment i had the worst anxiety relapse that i had had since years prior five years prior when i had done a particularly strong edible Mm -hmm. uh, and uh but last summer it was like it was for no reason it went not no reason we were in hell on earth and there was a lot of other things going on but yeah when my brain was on fire you know with panic you know like people say panic attacks you know last however long but it felt like i was i was in days on end in that panicky state you know and i don't know i've never had suicidality but i definitely felt like death would be preferable to that state but i think the only thing was that i was more afraid of not existing than i was of the pain yeah but it's a physical all-encompassing hell where you feel like death is just around the corner you know just like what you're describing as well i mean it's so hard to describe it in words what the feeling is, you know, you, you just kind of have to believe people when they tell you, because there's no way to put it in their minds, how that it's a completely illogical thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's, but that's why I think that what we do is so important. And I used to be blase about it. You know, I used to be like, huh, stupid people actually think that filmmaking can make a difference. Huh? You know, like, yeah because you want to be cool and you want to like be humble and you want to admit whatever. But I do think that like there's films that have saved my life. Yeah. And all it, all it needs to do is resonate with one person and that's yeah. enough. Um, all it needs to do is resonate with one person and that's enough. That's, that's the, that's the baseline of it. I think at, at the, any of it, it's sometimes we, we kind of, what, what happens is I think we're greedy uh yeah. we, we want more i mean let's be honest like if yeah, we yeah. were just born here on this planet and we're blessed with the things that we've already been with um you know there's there's a like 
about every single one of us, there's a lot of wonderful things that kind of go right the entirety of our lives. Um, and then there's like a lot of things that go wrong, but it's just like, you know, it's anytime there's a success, like we were talking about the run and gun thing. It's like, yes. So my only goal was, can I make something after crazy? Can I make something? Can I make I can something feel good about yeah. myself again? And then on the day, it's like, I, I don't want to make anything good. I don't want to make anything great. I just wanted to make something and just discover myself and then I had a great day and then after that i was just like oh man i really hope like blah blah, blah. and then everything starts to like you, you just want more and more and then after we finished it now it's just like oh great now i want to be in the finals yeah and, and but then, of course now it's like oh i hope uh we get an award yeah now it's <laughs> like I, I hope i'm nominated because i want the work of the people that have worked on this to be respected and i i hope like you know like um like her you know, and, yeah, and you know what just, happens like i have i have a couple of those awards here right like the night yeah, after, I see that, right? <laughs> yeah the night after you get it though it's it's like it didn't happen yeah you know it doesn't it doesn't really because, because now you're like okay now i want the next thing i, I want to do this again but bigger so, i want to like get the get the biggest award like i it's like uh there's this uh female comedian that made this joke about male comedians right yeah and she talked about how um, male comedians, yeah, they get laid after shows, but there's a one hour window from when they got off stage where they're cool and where girls like them. Because after that hour passes, they're like, oh, actually, this guy's kind of sad. <laughs> and I think that's like awards too, right? Where yeah. you're, you're like cool for that night. Yeah. And then it doesn't matter what fucking award it is. It could be a fucking Oscar. People just move on. Is it just like an immigrant thing too? Just wanting to be cool all the time? Because maybe oh, that's yeah. part of it too. It's like, I just, I just want people to think I'm cool also. Well, I see. I think that the, so there's this inherent thing about being an immigrant where, you know, your parents were too good for the place they were at. Yeah. You know, so they, they kind of, whether it's true or not, they want to go somewhere better. Yeah. And so every immigrant has in them that desire to, you know, go somewhere better. Yeah. Constantly. That lack of satisfaction is kind of a hallmark of an immigrant. And and the funniest part too is like when I first moved to Vancouver in 2019, I was house hunting at that time, um, right around the time Crazy Eights was happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my friends who was showing me around was like, hey, I'm going to this thing called Crazy Eights and uh, you should come check it out. And I was like, okay, whatever. I don't even know what that is. Like, Yeah. All right. <laughs> and, then, and then they were like, oh, it's just like the biggest film contest like in the city and whatever. And that can change now. But like. Uh, well, yeah. Define biggest. Yeah, exactly. 100 <laughs> films. Um, and then. And then I, I went there and I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. And I had such a great time at the gala and like meeting yeah. people. And then I watched like, you know, and I was like, I really want to do this. Was that the Cypher year? No, that was uh, the Idols Never Die. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. And, then, and then and then I was like, oh, I really want to do this. And then I, I like left that day talking to my friend. I was like, I'm going to do a crazy eights. And then he's like, OK, he just laughed. And then, and yeah. then and then I watched Run and Gun and I was like, you know, um, I finally moved in. I settled down into a place and then like, um, cause I went back to Calgary after the crazy eights and then I came back and then running gun was like the first event, like after I was properly settled in Vancouver that I'm into. And I watched this, I watched the quarters, I watched the semis, I watched the, and then when I went to the finals, I saw Joel's opening video and I was like, oh my God, this is like the Vancouver institutions. <laughs> it's like, they just don't give a fuck. Not true. It's like, turns out it was like very much a Joel thing. 
And um, yeah, yeah, no, uh, that's very much a dual thing. Yeah. And, and then that year I was like, okay, I want to do this too. And I was talking my friend, I was like, I'm going to do a run and gun. I was like, okay. It's like, and now like, you know, I'm literally like, sometimes I, I think people don't talk about it enough. It's like that desire of wanting to just like do certain things. And now that I've kind of like done both and then just like the, lack of gratitude of like just appreciating life and now sitting here and be like i like more please more yeah because because it's all impermanent right none of it yeah. lasts and you gotta like yeah i don't know man like what what am i supposed to say none of this is solved none, like we're not no. at the top of the mountain now looking no. down being like oh that foolish like no and i think about it in relationships too you know i just got out of a two-year relationship and like i'm like wow i learned so much about how to be a good partner blah 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 i'm not gonna make this mistake and that mistake but you know like i'm making all the same fucking mistakes that i i made when i was yeah. 16 you know i'm gonna i'm gonna keep doing the things that are wrong with me and that's what i'm realizing is like nothing changes as to who your baseline is and i don't think nothing's ever going to change even if like say you have like the best filmmaking career ever like say you're like the next kubrick and you win all of the oscars and whatever like we, we shit oscars all the time too and then like you know you you made like a five billion dollar box office film and like everybody in the world loves you and calls you a god like even then you're just gonna feel the same way it's just gonna Oh yeah, just as empty. Like the 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 amount of people whose careers crapped, out, like the list of people whose careers crapped out and kind of stalled post winning an Oscar is so much longer than the people whose best work was ahead of them. Yeah, you know, uh, it is. I mean, the people, the external recognition, the people who give you external recognition, they don't really know you. Yeah. So you're never going to feel fulfilled by the acclaim of people who don't know you because you're always going to know that they, they're not actually seeing you. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, that's what, that's why I, I think like, it's just um, the process. It's just, that's, that's probably what the definition of this is. It's just like going in and leaning on the process and just being kind to your friends, your family. And yeah just doing fun shit like anytime any weekend like pick up a phone and just make something if you want to be a filmmaker like that's the great thing about it and i think joel posted about this recently too it's just like you know the the whole point of running gun is just to like remind you that you can go you can out do and it. just do this and that's exactly what i was reminded of like not a single resource that we pulled together to make this happen it's not something we couldn't make happen on any given weekend. It was just an excuse to bring it together and make it happen. Right. It's like, um, I, I would say like even going further to what we were talking about earlier on, I wouldn't wait for, and there's some like really cool filmmakers I see in the city that actually just like make things all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, my friend, David Green, who I like, I'm going to have on the show soon, you know, he makes, he makes a video every week just for himself. Like he's called it the 2021 year of content. Yeah. And he makes this like this absurd, like Tim and Eric style stuff. That's for like no one, but it's just like so cool. And when you find the treasure trove of it, it's just like, yeah, this guy really is just doing it for the love of creation. And it's beautiful. That is, that's it. Yeah. Oh, and I will say one shitty thing about crazy eights, which is this, make it eight films. <laughs> It messes with, like, 
I'm not going to say I have clinical OCD. You know, people say that far too often. I am related to people who have it. I do not. However, there is something that really rubs me the wrong way about something being called Crazy Eights and having six films. The, I know it's eight days, but come on. The amount of times so I've had to explain that to people and the amount of people that have asked me, why isn't it eight films is insane. Yeah. It's and, not like they they waste a ton of time at those events. There's a like... You're, you're telling me you can't budget a half hour more for films? I think it's more so like the scarcity of resources because the yeah. expectations of the production values are so high now. Um, I mean, I, it's like that's one of the things. It's like definitely like it's it's it hasn't been like exactly like the easiest year in terms of like getting things together. Yeah. And the fact that but with that said, with that said, I would have maybe defended it previously against crew things because like part of the things was like, oh, like six films were shooting on the same weekend like crew scars resources of scars well joel just did 100 films on the same weekend with 1200 people working on projects like yeah pro bono like that is incredible i mean that is just um, oh yeah they cleared testament to the fact that maybe that's not always the they cleared out gear base and william f whites you know i mean yeah. like um and they used like giant like reds those those giant audio carts, you know, everything like, yeah, yeah, that I don't, I think that there is a lot of artificial scarcity. Oh, and uh, UBCP, if you're listening, this is from Mike Dogan, not Tesh. Um, leave, leave people alone uh, for things that are on the weekend. Just, just leave them alone. And just to uh, contrast, Mike, I had a wonderful experience with UBCP. So if you want help with paperwork, let me know because he hates paperwork. <laughs> I hate paperwork. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I'm not saying I had a bad, I've had good experiences with actually the people who work in the office who yeah. help with those uh, paperwork heavy things are really lovely and they're doing their best. They so it's, it's not their fault. Those are no, great people. They're right? great. I, I really like, I know that I've been hard on the union in the past, but they do have a lot of people working there that are working in good faith and they're, the idea of protecting professionals in the industry is great. So, and I, hmm. I, I do want to say the same thing with like a lot of the, people on a crazy yeah too. yeah yeah like just like wonderful people so many people that just like kind of came together and just helped out so much they they do try their best and that's why like i sometimes have a hard time like ragging on places for improvement because i'm just kind of thinking like i'm not even willing to do that <laughs> well and the, you know what this is the whole reason i started a podcast yeah. right because i can talk to you for an hour and a half two hours um and get into the nuances of that. Whereas when I make a post, you know, it's got to just be about the thing I have a problem with. Yeah. And that's just not enough because yeah, like the, these, so you look at the institutions themselves and literally it's all coming from a good place, right? Yeah. UBCP wants to make sure that actors are safe. And so they have insurance and that yeah. they're paid equitably this, that, and the other thing. Um, and then crazy eights wants to pair young filmmakers with the industry at large and create these big production value things that they wouldn't be able to otherwise. These are both notable, amazing goals that they mostly succeed at. Yeah. It's really only in the nitty gritty that there's problems with it. Um, that it, it can always be better. It can always be improved. And yeah. Um, on my end too, like they've actually been very receptive, like um, getting like surveys and feedback and whatever too. And, that's the thing is like, you know, I, I, I do have the opportunity to like, you know, 
voice my opinions like privately and out here but at the same time i believe like you know yeah transparency is another huge thing and this is something else i'm going to say like if anyone does want to do like any of these challenges or uh contests or go after any of them i'm i'm always happy to just like share everything like everything that i put into it all of the truths and uh, whatever, because I feel like that kind of information also needs to go out there and like bolster the community as well. Um, yeah. We need to have access to that. I, I firmly believe that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think what it is more than anything is that we, we need to be one community and we need to stop thinking about the industry here as something that exists in tiers. Yeah. You know, like, um that there is like a that is there's a top level like profitable vancouver type filmmaking and then shitty kids making stuff in their backyards you know we're all just trying to make movies and we we all should be operating were, were you the one who said that like you you were kind of like inspired by austin and like what we're yeah saying, like, that's that was yeah. my intro to this show yeah yeah i was like where did i hear this <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's just a you know some punks you know from uh you know, from the neighborhood who started a film society and supported each other and watched each other's films and screened them. And what came out of that was, you know, Richard Linklater's entire career, um, the Duplass brothers' entire career, the South by Southwest festival, like so much came out of just some fucking, you know, punks with cameras in their hands was and the desire. Was part of that too? Like, um, he's from Texas. I don't know if he was part of the Austin Filmmaker Society, but I don't doubt that like he that that sort of that that ethos yeah. was alive in him that uh that Texas filmmaker same generation kind of thing you know osmosis or whatever but you know what I'm gonna echo what you said like I I genuinely believe that based on the talent that I've seen here in the last two years and just everybody doing amazing work and just incredible people that I, I definitely see Vancouver as something that can become that kind of a creative hub that it's not just a service industry that gets spoken about in a lot of these kinds of things but I, I genuinely believe that it's so much more than that already yeah um, I think if anything like even, even the running gun this past weekend like kind of proves that um, model it's like 100 people I mean 100 teams can come together and 1300 people can like make something on a weekend and not feel like you know we were even scratching the surface in a weird way because i feel like yes there's some like resources but you know what like i i felt like it, it could have just been like even more teams it could have been like 150 teams oh it could have yeah, yeah and then there was the interest honestly they had to cap it at 100 because of uh like various limitations but there's no reason i just think too like That's the thing. If the local institutions, which unfortunately are clearly geared more to the service industry because of the profit motive, if they want to jump on board and be as helpful as possible with this trend, fuck yeah, let's work together. If they don't, then we might need to start looking at growing some new institutions. I mean, it's going to happen either way, I think, because I think we're, we're, the can of one, it's just, it's opened up already. I think people kind of see that people kind of see how liberating it is. Cause I've seen, I've had so many amazing conversations coming out of this weekend where people were just telling me like how much of a great time that they had or how liberating it was to just go out and shoot it. And just like, you know, it's, 
the spirit of it is so fundamental, I think. And it's, it's honestly, and because I'm also not from Vancouver, I haven't seen anything quite like it anywhere else either. Um, I haven't seen anything like Crazy Eights either. I haven't seen anything like Crazy Eights or running down like across the country, like just allowing anybody to get a shot at making something is so fundamentally, I think, important. And I'm very excited. Yeah. Well, damn, I guess that that's a good place as any to, uh, yeah, to stop. Um, peter out. Peter out, yeah. <laughs> no, trust the process. and uh, we, we still haven't really gotten into how we got into filmmaking, but let's save that for another yeah, let's time. Let's save that for another time, man. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. This has been a wonderful discussion. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Pleasure, my man. All right. Um,